Hi, I'm Jake Parker, and this is my podcast, Beyond Fit. My goal is to help you live a happier and healthier life by providing actionable knowledge and advice about a wide range of health and fitness topics. You can find me most active on Instagram at jakeparker.fit if you want to connect or just see what I'm up to. Hey guys, this is Jake. I just wanted to say that this podcast with Ashley Van Houten that you're about to hear was super fun. Like I mentioned, I first found Ashley through Ben Pakolsky's podcast, and she's someone I continue to follow and look up to. And so it was a great opportunity to get her on the podcast now that she is out promoting and talking about her book about cooking organ meats which is a pretty crazy concept on paper, but Ashley really talks a lot about how to make it more accessible and how it's really not near as crazy as it sounds right off the bat. Um, But her book is called It Takes Guts. It's gonna be out on October 20th. So if you're interested, make sure you go to her website or anywhere else to take a look and hopefully buy it for yourself. Um, Other than that, just some housekeeping. I have some new developments coming on the podcast soon. I am going to be changing the format a little bit. So hopefully you guys will enjoy what we have coming as far as that goes. Um, As far as this podcast specifically with Ashley, the part I really enjoyed the most about it was just the fact that she is so focused on the whole process of building strength and building muscle and what's behind that and not only that but how to holistically live a healthier and more balanced life in every respect we talk about books and reading and relationships and social media and all that sort of stuff that I love to touch on that I think is so important in just overall mastery of your life and optimization so without further ado enjoy the interview and let me know what you think Hi guys, this is Jake Parker back on the Beyond Fit podcast today. My guest is Ashley Van Houten. Most recently, she has been working on the release of her new book uh, about cooking organ meats. It's called It Takes Guts. And so I was always interested in Ashley. I first found you from um, Ben Pakolsky's podcast. And then another one I mentioned I listen to a lot is uh, Barbell Shrugged. Anders was actually on the show. Uh, about a month or two ago. And so I've heard you interviewed a couple times. I've always resonated with a lot of the things you say because it kind of aligns with my sort of more holistic approach to weightlifting, bodybuilding, strength training, whatever you want to call it, but that you talk about the longevity aspect of it and the all around health where it's not just, you know, how to improve your bicep curl and stuff like that, but you've always been very focused on the holistic health side of things. And so just to start off here, a little bit about your background. What got you interested in just, I'm, at some point, I'm sure it just became a focus to get stronger and compete or whatever it was, improve your body. So what was that like getting started? And then how has that kind of evolved into the whole primal ancestral focus that is more a part of what you focus on now? Cool. Uh, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm glad you found me through some uh, awesome mutual bro friends that we have. 
Um, I mean, the story is, it's not like something I can really put into an elevator pitch necessarily. And for mm -hmm. me, I didn't, I didn't even really have like a particular light bulb moment. I don't think, um, that, that led me into this career and led me into the passions that I have. But I do know that for as long as I can remember, I've always really liked muscles and I've liked mm -hmm. being strong and I've liked, um, watching what other human beings are capable of physically. And uh, so like I grew up, you know, watching American Gladiator and World's Strongest Man and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And I just really, I just really liked it. You know, I think I had older brothers. So I was watching Arnold Schwarzenegger movies when I was a kid. And like, so, you know, part of it, it just sort of like, it grew from there that I, I thought of that as a positive thing. And I never kind of considered like, I don't really look like Arnold. I, it wasn't really ever a stopping point for me. I was just like, I'm going to get strong and get muscles too. Cause that's cool. And that's, that's awesome. And it's fun. So I wasn't really much of a like traditional athlete growing up. I, I was in soccer. I was in volleyball, whatever my parents put me in growing up, but I didn't really um, take to team sports so much. And I think that a lot of times in school, we really heavily place the, the, the bias of athleticism on team sports. So mm -hmm. I didn't really grow up thinking I was an athlete necessarily. Um, I did swim and I did gymnastics. So I liked those ones. And then when I got out of school, I found CrossFit. So this was about the time that CrossFit was really, it was new, but starting to gain speeds so around kind of 2008-ish. And when I got into CrossFit, that's when I uh, really started understanding that I had some ability, that I really liked it, that I really, really enjoyed that kind of, constant learning environment, um, that constant progression. So every day you could go in there and get a little bit stronger. You could learn a new skill. You could do something else. And I also thought that CrossFit was uniquely empowering for women who prior to this, and look, I'm talking about the 2000s. So I'm not saying we're in like the fifties or sixties where mm -hmm. there was zero, uh, community for women to, to be strong and be in the gym. But even as far back as when I was a teenager and when I was in high school in the early two thousands, um, there weren't as many women in the gym. There weren't people, there weren't women barbell squatting. There wasn't the kind of community that there is now and getting into a sport where it wasn't weird for women to be incredibly strong for women to be able to do 20 pull-ups for women to mm -hmm. be able to accomplish those things was really eye-opening and empowering and cool. And so from there, it kind of opened my mind into a lot of different areas of strength. And I kind of dabbled and played with a lot of different things. So I went from CrossFit to sort of powerlifting, um, did some jujitsu along the line. I got into bodybuilding for a while and I've kind of everything that I got into I sort of took a piece from it and continued on my way because, mm -hmm. you know, again, I kind of got into these things a little older and maybe that's an excuse, but I never really had the attitude of being like hyper competitive or making it my life. I've always been more of a generalist that just wanted to experience as much as I could learn as much as I could um, and kind of continue and, and play and dabble and sort of just be, you know, good, good-ish at everything instead of really good at one thing. Um, so that's kind of what was going on in my, like, in, as far as my hobbies and my passions go. And along with that, I was, of course, learning about nutrition and how to take care of myself because once you are no longer 21, like, you have to start paying attention to these things and think about what you're eating and think about how you're recovering and taking care of your body. So along with that, um, my career was changing. My background has always been in marketing and communications, but I love to write and I love to communicate and I love to learn. So all of those things 
started kind of coinciding with the stuff that I was doing on the side, which was learning about CrossFit, learning about paleo, learning about how to eat, learning about all kinds of different things. Um, and over a very long period of time, we don't necessarily have to get into, I was able to kind of transition from a more corporate job that paid the bills to a more freelance creative environment where I create my own work um, that is centered around stuff that I'm actually passionate about and that I'd be learning about anyway. So um, that's sort of how I got to where I am. And then kind of the next step is this book that I've just been working on, which is mm -hmm. obviously very exciting too. Yeah, I think that a couple of things there. I think that the really cool thing about being a generalist and trying a lot of different things is you probably have become a lot more convinced, not, not convinced is not the right word, but just aware of like what sort of things are needed to make people just healthy on the whole. If you just are even talking about the general population person who wants to get a little bit healthier, who wants to, you know, everything that goes along with a better body, thinking more clearly and just your body just feeling and moving better. I think that that's one of the biggest benefits that I've seen to like, I wouldn't say I've done a lot in the way of different sports, but definitely for me, the two things that most closely aligned is like the powerlifting and the bodybuilding sort of focus where they're both obviously built geared towards building muscle and strength, but they have a little bit of a different focus in each, but each one tells you, you know, there's these key tenets to getting bigger and stronger. And so I think that that's really interesting. And I, I the other thing that I admire the most is that I, I almost kind of was curious if there was going to be like a, a light bulb moment that came on for you where, you know, I've talked to women before that kind of switch from that cardio focus and, you know, the, the wanting to be lean and toned and whatever other buzzword you want to put in there to discovering weights and discovering CrossFit, something like that, where the, the focus changes and you get to be confident about being big and strong and muscular. I just think it's cool that you have that, that focus and that you've never really wavered from it. Cause like for me, I know that something I try to lean into is the dichotomy between the weightlifting and strength training and gaining muscle and then I really am interested in like yoga and meditation too because I think it's the flip side of that it's kind of the more feminine side and I think that a lot of the times that contrast is what is makes them both mo most rewarding for me so I guess I'm just admirable of those of those traits yeah I mean it's uh I can't say that I I came out of um I got to adulthood without being uh exposed to or influenced by the reality that women are brought into a world where we're told to be perfectly skinny perfect mm -hmm. our body's perfect we got to be smaller except in the areas where you got to be bigger and like all of these things you know of course I, i'm a human being in this world so i'm exposed to that um and so but I, I i there's something about i don't know how i was raised again maybe it was my mother's influence maybe it was the fact that i had brothers and so i was always around that kind of environment, but there was never really a part of me that was ever afraid of getting bulky or getting manly from working out. And maybe that's because I started at such a young age that I saw very quickly that I was not gonna accidentally get bulky, that wasn't a thing. Mm -hmm. um, and also just the, the idea too, and I think this is also a thing that I'm lucky about my age where I'm obviously very much, you know, I'm technically a millennial, I'm very much in this world that's very online, but I was just old enough that like, I kind of got past some of my earlier formative years without being like 100% on the internet. And so mm -hmm. I'm very aware of how fake and curated and problematic a lot of what we're seeing online is. And like, I remember when I was bodybuilding and people would look at pictures of me, I mean, I'm still bodybuilding, but when I was competing, people would look at pictures of me when I was lean or when I was going up on stage and they'd be like, whoa, you're so ripped and you're so jacked and you're huge. And I'm like, I was 117 pounds in that picture. Like I was the smallest I've ever been, but the picture 
with the angles and the light and the muscles that were visible, I look bigger and more jacked than I ever have. And I could be 20 pounds heavier and take a picture of myself in like a cute little outfit. And people would think I was smaller because I don't look muscular. Yeah. So it's just, people don't know really, unless you're in the in industry or you're in the environment, like people don't know actually what it takes to look that way. People don't know that oftentimes when you look the strongest, you're actually the weakest people, you know, there's so much going on there that's just behind the scenes. So um, I've always felt that health and accomplishing my goals that I set for myself come before whether I'm a size four or a six or whatever, you know, happens. Um, and I, I'm thankful for that because there is absolutely pressure to look a certain way, especially being in the fitness world. And I, you know, I certainly work hard to feel good about myself and be healthy and look good too. I'm never going to pretend that that's not a priority, but um, it doesn't come before achieving my goals and it doesn't come before health. So um, mm -hmm. yeah. I think that uh, another thing that I'd point out there is that something I didn't realize for a long time growing up definitely probably was sort of a product of, of being, of coming up in like the internet age where it was much more accessible to go online and see all what these bodybuilders were doing. And it, it was, it was like 10 years ago or so, probably when I first started lifting weights and I've talked about this before, but it was the big time of like bodybuilding.com forums and just a bunch of different bros just spewing out different advice. And for me, the hardest thing was just kind of the paralysis by analysis. I heard so much different stuff and I kind of got attached to these dogmas for a really long time uh, up until a few years ago when I really started to look at things objectively and change things. But what I don't think that people realize is when you see a bodybuilder or even when you see someone whose picture has these pictures they post on Instagram, that they, they geared up for this photo shoot, they got lean and they went through this long arduous process of doing that. And you think, oh, wow, that looks amazing. But at the same time, that person probably feels terrible, probably not getting good sleep, definitely not eating enough. And so being low on energy in that way. And so I think that it's, it's hard because I can understand. I want to have good pictures to post out there in the internet because it helps you to seem more reputable. But at the same time, I wouldn't want people to think like, oh, that's the pinnacle of health. Like he must feel great every day and energized and healthy and all that kind of stuff. Because it's really the opposite when you go to the extreme looking at bodybuilding. Yeah. And I mean, for most people too, and it's, it's, it's different for everybody. Like I talk a lot about my bodybuilding experience being, I think pretty different than the norm, especially for women, because it is more complicated and it is tougher for women going into this because of our hormones, because of the fact that we naturally, our bodies want to have more body fat, um, because of how inherently problematic, um, an objective, essentially beauty pageant can be for people who are coming into this with already dysfunctional attitudes about their bodies. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a lot of those um, issues because for a lot of reasons, because I went into it older, you know, I wasn't 18, 19, 20 getting into this. I really didn't need anybody's validation. I already felt pretty good about myself and pretty validated mm -hmm. before I went up there. Um, I did a lot of research to find a coach who I aligned with her values and I liked the way she looked. I liked the way she operated and I liked the way she competed and she was a natural competitor, which again, this, you know, that's neither here nor there, but I found somebody who I knew would, um, trained me the way I wanted to be trained. I wasn't going to be like roped into doing anything I didn't want to do. I wasn't going to be pressured into anything. Um, and we went about it in a, in, it's still an extreme thing. There's no way it's not getting up on stage for a bodybuilding competition. You're doing something extreme, but we did it as gradually and as healthfully as we possibly could. And so that's another thing that I, I talk about a lot of the time, like it was a process dieting down and coming back out of it. Certainly it was a process, but I never like 
lost my cycle. I never um, felt sick or I didn't have, you know, sunken cheeks. I didn't, whatever. I really like, I got like as lean as I had to and absolutely not a percentage point leaner. And it seemed to work for me because I think sometimes people, again, if you're really just going into this as a way to excuse your obsessive dysfunctional attitudes towards eating, you'll look at things like, I gotta be on, on a stage, I have to be around this percent body fat, so if I can get this lean, I should get this much leaner. The leaner, the better. And that's, yeah. again, when you're an amateur, when you're a figure competitor, which is what I did, there are different rules for all the different competitions and people just so often, we think more is more, always more is better. Oh yeah. It's just not, it's just not. Um, and so, but this, this goes back to sort of the more broader general health conversation that I have when I'm doing coaching or when I'm doing my podcast is that it really is much harder to live in moderation, to find the sustainable balanced version of health that's going to work for you. Like it's easy to live in the extremes. People don't think it is. You look at you know, competing for a bodybuilding competition, you think, how could anyone do that? That's nuts. But if you've got it in your head that you want to accomplish a goal and someone gives you a piece of paper and says, just do this, don't do anything else. That's pretty easy. It's really easy to follow rules that strict. Like if you, that's why people like carnivore and that's why people like keto because it's easy. It's like, don't ever eat a carb again. Okay. I got it. I know what to do, right? Only eat meat. Got it. No problem. But if someone's like, you need to find out what your ideal macros are and how you like to work out and what nourishes your body the best and what um, gives you the best balance of good stress and, and reducing the bad stress and what fits into your lifestyle, like that's a big job. That takes a long time to figure out and it's constantly evolving. So that's much more difficult. But again, if we look at social media and we look at what's trendy, it's a lot easier to just pick these kind of um, sexy clickbait sort of concepts rather than do the really hard work and lay that groundwork of, of basic health practices. People don't want to do it because it's, it's hard. Yeah. And that's another thing I think is cool about being a generalist, not only in your workouts or the different uh, strength sports that you've tried, but it sounds like you've experimented a lot with diet too. And what that has taught me personally is there's so many different ways to be fit. You know, there's people that are ripped and they, like you said, they only eat vegan, they only eat carnivore. Like for me, it comes down to, to, to bring it back to the early example of like being 15, 16, wanting to gain muscle, getting on bodybuilding.com. And the biggest trouble I had was there'd always be follow this plan exactly and follow this diet exactly. And like you say, that's, that's okay if you can do it and you kind of understand the methodologies behind it. But when you're so young and impressionable, like to me, it was like, okay, this is the only way. And it would cause me tons of stress and anxiety because I, of course, to live with my parents and we'd have traditional meals like anybody else would, not terribly unhealthy, but not the bodybuilding type meals that I read online that I had to eat. And so it was a huge source of stress for a long time. And I wish that somebody back then, like even it's almost like I wish a person with the experience that I have now could just say, you know, don't worry about all that. Try to lift heavy as much as you can. Try to eat in somewhat of a calorie surplus, kind of explain that, explain how the energy balance and all that works. Cause I really didn't understand that until I was about 21 years old. And actually uh, one of the first books I read on it was bigger, leaner, stronger by Mike Matthews. And that totally changed my mindset because it really, he really does talk about the foundations, calorie balance, like I said, compound weightlifting, and then things like that you've kind of mentioned a couple of times, getting appropriate sleep, managing your stress. And it's fun to talk about all the intricacies. Like we'll get into the cooking and the eating of organ meats and the different things like that. You've talked about biohacking on checking out some of your latest podcasts, but it's, it can't be understated that you have to have these base 
things down first before you delve into that stuff and it's going to be useful to you. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to come across as like a total pessimist here. So this isn't, this isn't fact. This is just my opinion, but I feel like sometimes the vast majority of us still have to go through that young period where we can't be told we just have to experience it. We have to make our yeah. own mistakes first. We have to go through these things. We have to adhere to something dogmatically and crash and burn and then go back to basics. Like that just for the vast majority of us, we can only take advice so far when we're young. Like it's, there's like a maturity and there's a amount of experience that has to happen first before you can kind of come back and say, okay, I understand what's worked and what hasn't. I understand that I have to go back to basics. I understand that I can't go zero to a hundred all the time. Um, mm -hmm. With that said, I mean, the fact that there is more information out there than ever, which can be paralyzing, like you said, but it can also be incredibly valuable. And for the people out there who are young and really smart and, and know how to um, synthesize information, know how to research for themselves to know how to kind of uncover what works and what doesn't and experiment with themselves and the people who are willing to kind of hit those basic um, unsexy uh, you know health markers first before they play with all this other stuff people who are doing that at a young age are going to be way better off I just think for the vast majority mm -hmm. of us we kind of have to screw up ourselves first before we listen you know yeah that's true because I've often thought about you know whenever I get down on myself like so for example, like I studied business and finance in college and always the thought was like, oh, I'm going to go and do something with this. And then my life's going to take this certain course and yada, yada, yada. But that had to be disrupted at some point because I realized that that wasn't the life for me. And then there was a period of time after this whole disruption where I was like, oh man, I kind of wish I would have studied like nutrition or kinesthetics or something like that because I, I found I'm so interested in the building muscle and the nutritional side of things and bodybuilding. But it's like, no, I think that what's more valuable is finding out what didn't work for me at a relatively early age in my life. Cause now I know that well, I don't want this traditional life where I go and have a job and retire at age 60 with a white picket fence. Like I'm more of a risk taker and it took living that opposite side to realize what I, I needed to do to change course. And so I think there is a lot of value in like, yeah, you could tell someone how something works, but until they go and live it themselves, it's not really going to be internalized in their actions. Yeah, completely agree. And the, the other thing, uh, did you, I was curious, you were talking about like social media. Did you ever watch the uh, Social Dilemma on, on, uh, on Netflix? I just watched yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, that was really good. I, I've always been interested in like, I listened to Tristan's TED Talk and then I heard him on Tim Ferriss and like other people like Cal Newport and uh, Yuval Noah Harari, a couple of authors that I read a lot. And they're always talking about the implications of all this technology. And so I think that's really interesting too, and especially how it... Uh, how it relates to young people, like you kind of talked about in terms of body dysmorphia and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent documentary. Everybody should watch it. Um, it's funny because it did sort of paint a, a grimmer picture than like, for example, Cal Newport, his book, mm -hmm. Digital Minimalism. I actually interviewed him for the podcast oh, cool. uh, back in the day and it was fantastic. He's amazing. But one of the things that I liked about his book was that it really did explain social media it explained just like what the documentary said that it didn't necessarily start out to be this insidious thing that is meant to change our brains and ruin our lives but human nature and human growth and unchecked growth and all of this stuff has created these systems that are really really damaging but more of the thrust of his book was less about social media is the worst we're all zombies on our phones it was more like this exists 
the more you're aware of how it works and what it's doing, the better, more educated choices you can make for how you use these tools. Because most people are not going to get rid of all their social media. Most mm -hmm. people are not going to let go of their smartphones. That's not the world we're living in. But if we can just be more thoughtful, be more mindful about how we're using it, and that may require like really mindfully enacting tools and behaviors that like keep us off our phones certain times, or, um, you know, we have to pick and choose our battles where maybe we have this one social media um, platform, but we don't use the other ones just because they're there and we feel like we should, you know, just mm -hmm. being mindful about how to make them work for us rather than um, just be sort of mindlessly a part of it. And I think that that can apply to everything that we're doing, right? It's, it's easier said than done. We're probably all guilty of, of wasting time online and on social media, but the more we approach this stuff mindfully, we don't have to just be afraid and we don't just have to accept that social media is taking over all of our lives and ruining the youth and whatever. It's a problem, but we have the ability to kind of break out of the matrix if we want to and use these things the, for our own benefit as well as in, instead of just being used by them, I think. Anyway. Like I'm sure as far as what I've seen online from you, it'd probably be hard to picture what it would look like writing your book and promoting your book and talking about it with different people without the use of social media because you're able to network and be able to share it in different ways. And so there is a lot of positivity about it in that you can meet people that you wouldn't meet otherwise and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, I've made great friends on social media. I've made incredible business connections on social media, but I also have been doing it in a way, I think, and I'm not perfect, certainly, but I've been doing it in a way that is very real and organic. I refuse to buy followers. I refuse mm -hmm. to entice followers. I refuse to be completely... Um, gratuitous in the stuff that I post to kind of get people's attention. And I, I absolutely feel um, the pressure to do those things because, you know, it's the same as everybody else. I'm, I'm out here putting out great information. I'm writing books. I'm doing good work. And I'm like, mm -hmm. how come I don't have 500,000 followers yeah. like that bikini model that has that workout PDF? And it's like, we know the answer why I don't have as many followers as she does, you know? Mm -hmm. So you just have to, you have to, again, like be patient, be consistent, understand that if you're doing it in a way that is authentic and real for you that's the right way to do it even if it mm -hmm. means that it's slower even if it means that you'll never have a million followers um but i think that i when i think that it's kind of starting to affect me negatively when i think that i'm starting to do things that are no longer um, reflective of who i really am like i'm gonna take stock of that i pay attention to that um because again social media is not real life it is a tool it's a valuable one and it can bring a lot of joy to your life, but it can also wreak havoc. So you just have to pay attention to what you're mm -hmm. doing and what you're feeling. Yeah. Like one of the things that resonated with me on that, uh, the social dilemma is when uh, one of the guys, he was like, even though we've, we've worked on this technology and we understand all the mechanisms behind it and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I still find myself getting on my phone and wondering where the last 20 minutes went. Cause I scrolled and scrolled and I feel that way too. Like I'm always trying to preach how you should be more mindful with your social media to my family and my close friends. But then it can kind of be um, frustrating for me when I'll see myself do something like that. where like, Oh my God, I've been on my phone for 30 minutes and haven't looked up because it's, it is kind of in some ways insidious in how easy it is to use. And I think that there's kind of like you've touched on, there's power in understanding and being educated on the systems behind it so that you're at least more likely to realize where your behaviors are going and what your sort of weak points might be. Like for me, if I'm 
either feeling tired or anxious are two big things where I know that I have to try to be more mindful of my social media use because that's when it's going to be all that more, all the much more easier to just get on and use it mindlessly for um, just for, you know, hours, some, some days and do things like dating apps and like all that sort of stuff that's helpful. You know, again, something like a dating app, it's like, I might not have gone on a date or met a girlfriend or whatever, if it weren't for this, but it's also wasted a lot of my time and just mindless scrolling. And that's another prime example of where your value is kind of being put on display even more so than Instagram. Like, does this person think I'm good looking or interesting or not? And so there is, it's just kind of like the dichotomy I talked about earlier. Everything has a good and a bad side to some extent. Yeah. And I mean, I think also understanding physiology and science and how your brain works, we are no different from anybody else. The person who spends 10 hours scrolling Instagram and the person who thinks that they're better than everybody else because they don't have a smartphone, our brains all work the same way. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you know, it goes back to health and food and stuff and how people eat um, emotionally. And when you eat something that's hyper palatable or a trigger food for you, and then half an hour later, you're like, how did I eat that entire box of cookies? I must be a weak, you know, shitty person or whatever. Sorry, I don't know mm -hmm. if I'm allowed to swear. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay, good. Um, but understanding, like giving yourself a break. And I used to do this too, because I have a sweet tooth. I definitely, you know, have my moments. I, I acknowledge that I eat emotionally when I'm stressed out. Some people go the opposite way and don't eat anything. It's all a form of sort of comfort and self and control over things that you feel like you can't control and all this. But it's understanding that this is how our brains work and we are smart enough to create these apps that take advantage of how our brains work and food producers have been smart enough to create foods that take advantage of how our brains work so it's not to say again that nothing's our fault and you know it's the twinkies fault it's instagram's fault you have to take responsibility for yourself but also give yourself a break and know that these things were designed to do this you're not especially weak. You're not like the worst person because this is happening to you. But now that you know that it's designed to attack your brain in the way that it is, you can, again, goes back to just being mindful. Like it's, and you're not ever going to be perfect and you might backslide and these things might happen. You got to give yourself a break, but that's how it works. That's how our physiology works. So try to figure out behaviors, try to figure out plans and consistent lifestyle changes that are going to help you, um, live a better life, help you avoid the things that are problematic to you. I mean, that's just what it is. That's literally what life is. It's trying to figure mm -hmm. out ways to get through it in the healthiest, happiest way possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it reminded me of this quote. I think that comes from one of Yuval's books who, have you ever read the book Sapiens? Yep. Oh, yeah. I'm like really big into, his, into all three of his books. I'm almost uh, through the last one, but he's, I think he said in one that we are a people in the modern day with primal minds. So like you said, we have all these emotions and things that were built when we were hunter gatherers living in tribes in those ancestral times. And we have medieval institutions, but we have godlike technology, which is the social media that can, you know, if he was given the example of like, if you were to FaceTime with someone who's across the country in Europe or whatever, that would be the thing of myth just a few hundred years ago, but now it's our reality. And it's yeah. so easy for that sort of stuff to just become, it's not fascinating to us every single day because it's so easy and it's so a part of who we are. And so I think that it's just interesting to think about that in the context of, well, look at what we came from and this is why you feel jealousy and this is why you feel rage, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, another book that I would um, recommend uh, if you haven't read it, um, it's called The Hungry Brain um, by Stephen Guillenet. Do you know about this book? No, I have not heard of um, it. 
So I interviewed this gentleman a couple of years ago as well. And this book was one of the ones that like stands out in my head. Um, if you're interested in nutrition, if you're interested in how the brain and your body works and how it reacts to food. And he's basically talking about how to sort of outsmart the instincts. Like you said, we've got this primitive brain that's saying, hey, when there's sugar around, eat it because you never know what's mm -hmm. going to come again. Um, except now we live in a world where we're up to our necks in sugar. So the things that have helped us survive are now making us unhealthy. So he explains it in great detail and then also talks about how you can override it, how you can, you know, um, yeah, not just let it be sort of this like feedback loop that you can't control. Mm -hmm. You can kind of step outside of it and recognize what's happening. Um, but it's a really good book. So uh, definitely check that one out if you want to add it nice. to your list. I'll check it out. Well, I think that this is a good thing that leads into one of the things that in my email I mentioned that I was curious about is I heard you talking on the Barbell Shrug podcast about how you finished this book in between, I, like I know, I, I want to say you started it after 2020 started. And so a really quick turnaround to get it written, get it edited, all the things that go into that. So I'm curious how, based on our discussion already, like how did you deal with distractions? How did you deal with not just losing hours to your phone and all the other temptations that are kind of the opposite of like Cal Newport would call the deep work it takes to get into the guts of a book. Yeah. Kind I mean, of a I pun don't, unintentionally. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> um, I don't recommend the timeline that I gave myself to write this book. Some of it was just, um, blind ambition and some of it was not knowing any better, but this book is my first book. I mean, I've been a writer for my entire life, but this is my first like real published book. And you're right, the timeline was, was crazy. So I, I kind of had this idea in my head about a year ago. So maybe like November last year, I had this idea that I wanted to write this book and I, I, it grew very quickly. I felt very strongly about it. Um, I have a lot of friends in my community who had written cookbooks, who were authors. And so I was kind of having these conversations and putting some feelers out there. Like I have this idea and like, how do you think I should go about it? And I was kind of mulling it over in my head. And I ended up having a conversation with a publisher um, end of November, December, maybe last year, pitched my idea. And I think my passion and enthusiasm for it was very apparent because they were like, all right, like, this is niche, but it's growing and mm -hmm. you seem really on top of this. So let's do this. So from me, like putting it into my brain that I wanted to write this book to getting a, a publishing contract was about a month. And then I had, um, let's see, January, February, March, April, May, uh, like five or six months to write this book. So I don't know why I did it. I also don't know why the publisher was like, yeah, you should be able to figure it out. Like you'd think they'd be like, you should take a year, but I don't know. I mean, it's like one of those laws where it's like time fills the space. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's what I was just thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. And it absolutely would have. If they had said, get this to me end of 2021, I'd still be like puttering around. Um, and I have to say like the fact that this happened literally coinciding with the pandemic in a lot of ways helped me because a mm -hmm. lot of the distractions, a lot of my distractions were gone. I mean, there's certainly still tons by way of Netflix and the internet, but the fact that I wasn't traveling and doing all of these like events or um, expos or just seeing family and friends, and I travel a lot and that was cut completely out. Um, and the fact that we were, for the first few months of the pandemic too, we were all just thrust into this like very uncertain, scary, locked up time. And so my brain immediately went to like, how can I distract myself from this nightmare? How can I be productive and feel like I'm still doing something good during this time? And so I doubled down. Like I was just like, well, my priority is this book and I'm going to dedicate a ton of time to it. I also had 
two or three other jobs at the same time. So it was incredibly stressful. It was incredibly long days. That's why I say I don't super recommend it. There probably could have been a happy medium where I gave myself 10 months or a year instead of mm -hmm. six or seven months. Um, but really, it was just that I, like probably a lot of people in this industry, I'm pretty regimented and pretty disciplined. And I, when I set a deadline, like I'm gonna do it, absolutely. I just, there's no question. The decision is taken out of it at that point. If I say I'm gonna have something done by April 1st or May 1st, like it's getting done. So when I gave myself that timeline, I worked back and I was like, okay, how, you know, I have to develop and, and make and photograph 85 recipes and I've got six months to do it. And my photographer has a full-time job and it's the pandemic and I'm not allowed to see her. How do I do this? How do I schedule this? And how many hours a week do I have to dedicate to writing things out and looking at it and formatting and whatever. Um, and so I just kind of did the math and then I spent long hours and days in front of my computer plugging away at it. But again, mm -hmm. I think probably you can relate to this too. When it's something that you're passionate about, when it's something that you love, and when you've been given an opportunity that not a lot of people get, which is somebody has put their faith in you that they think you have a good idea and they want to help you bring it to life, you're going to do everything you can to do it. And so even when it was stressful and even when it sucked, it was still awesome because it was something that I absolutely wanted to do. That's one of those things I think goes past something like a, uh, a, another dichotomy that I talk a lot about in the podcast and I'm really interested in is like the scientifically uh, optimal way to do something versus just kind of like the the anecdote where kind of like you saying that you you push past it you went into long days and just like we already talked about a little bit ago the most optimal way for your brain and body to function is good sleep good nutrition you know low stress but you probably weren't always getting to do that because you were under some stress you were probably sacrificing sleep sometimes to put more work in and i think it just speaks to the fact that sometimes just having a strong vision is more powerful than anything else i've always been so fascinated by that there's this clip by Arnold Schwarzenegger, where he's talking about vision and that that's the most important thing to him and just how to manifest things into your life. And I've always thought that that's so fascinating because the basis of integrity to me is just being able to keep agreements, whether with yourself or someone else. And so I definitely can resonate with you saying, you know, I said I was going to do this and you had kind of almost like a, a two factor um, way of staying in uh, locked in with it because you had yourself pushing and then you also had felt probably felt like you owed it to this publisher like you said and so i can understand how you were probably very motivated even though it was taking a lot out of you mm -hmm. i mean i love uncle arnold even though lately he's been like saying we should eat less meat which i mm -hmm. don't agree with but it's okay i can you know whatever he's he's having his moment um but i yeah i definitely sacrificed some things i will say and i'm actually kind of proud that I was again mature enough to when I had all these balls that I was juggling and I was like which one's gonna fall by the wayside right now it was fitness first um, mm -hmm. which I believe on the hierarchy of sleep and food and mental health and relationships is the least important at the end of the day and by fitness I mean I didn't sit on my couch and like never move again I it was more like I'm not gonna be stage ready for a couple months I'm not mm -hmm. gonna work out an hour every day. I'm not gonna lift super heavy weights and stress my body because I do not have the time. I do not have the mental energy and I need to focus on something else. And I'm stuck in a house in the winter in, in the middle of a pandemic. I don't need to do this to myself. Like I will maintain my health. I will try to do the best I can in every single one of these areas of health, but 
I have to prioritize. And it really was one of the first times in my life that I felt like I had to like drop some balls to, in order to get things accomplished. Like I've always really leading up to this point been like, look, I can keep juggling it all. It's fine. Like I've got it all going. Mm -hmm. And this was the first time that I had to like have this moment with my ego and be like, you really cannot, you really cannot do all of these things at a hundred percent. So it's, you know, it's life is a balancing act. It's a juggling act. And I respect people who have strong passions and are willing to work and sacrifice to get there. But there is always, even when you're doing this stuff, a balance between, okay, are you going to let your health fall to shit to write this book? Are you going to alienate your, your partner and your family and your friends because you don't have any time for them? Are you going to not sleep for six months and like totally mess yourself up so you can have your book can be this much better or something. Like I, I didn't, I drew the line really. I was like, I'm still going to live my life. I'm not going to let everything else fall apart, but yeah. it's just sort of like the balancing, the balancing act all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think we're all doing. I've heard a really interesting an- anecdote about that from, uh, did you ever, have you ever heard of or read the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller? Mm, I don't think so. So he has this part in there where he talks about balancing your life. And he says, there's some things that are glass balls and some things that are tennis balls. So with your fitness, it's like a tennis ball where you can drop it and it can come back up. But if you have a relationship with a spouse or significant other, or you have a relationship with your parents or kids or whatever, you know, whatever your family is, that can be like a glass ball where if you, if you drop it, it just breaks and it's unrepairable. So that's just what, what came to mind there. So, and, and that's with all the experience you have in fitness, it's probably not super hard for you to take a period of months where you're not going as hard and then get back into shape. However you see that, you know, whether it's with your body or with your physical standards of fitness or whatever, it's not super hard to get back into that. Yeah. And there's maybe a part of me for the first little while that was like, okay, this is maybe a nice thing for the first Mm -hmm. time in 15 years to not be doing bodybuilding workouts every day at the gym. You know, maybe this is kind of nice. Maybe this is a nice reset. Of course, after a couple months, I was like, please get me back in the gym. Yeah. You're ready to get back. Yeah. And when the gyms opened up, it was amazing. And it improved my quality of life significantly as soon as I can get back into the gym, because it is my happy place. It's a meditative space for me. It, you know, gives you all those beautiful uh, endorphins that you get when you work out and you sweat and you feel good. Um, but you know, it's another thing that's coming as I, as I mature and try new things that fitness and lifting weights and, and being strong will absolutely always be a priority in my life. And I, I love that. And I'm grateful for that, but what that means will change. So sometimes it means I'm training every day and I'm doing a bodybuilding competition. Sometimes it'll mean I go for nice walks and I just feel good Mm -hmm. and I'm not worried about it, you know? Yeah. So one other uh, thing that I wanted to mention here was from what we've talked about and from kind of reading about you and, you know, listening to to you on a couple of podcasts is like, first of all, uh, one of the sales pitches for your uh, book that I noticed a couple of times was that you don't have any formal training in this. And it's not like you've been doing it for a long time as far as like the cooking of organ meats and that it was kind of self-experimentation that led you to it. And so one of the things I put together that I was curious if you would uh, agree with me on is like, it seems like a big part of your life is you're very curious. You've mentioned that word a couple of times and you seem to try things out on yourself before preaching them or before seeing them as, as valid. And so was that a big motivator of the book is like, Oh, I've been doing this and doing it more and more on my own. And then you saw the validity and how easy it can be relatively. And then you wanted to get that out towards other people. It kind of sounds like that has been part of the process for you in a big way. 
Yeah, I mean, I love that. I think that one of the bigger issues with how divisive um, our world is online and the way we communicate in this digital age is that so many people just want to prove they're right while also uh, condemning other people's opinions because they don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. And look, we all get angry, we all get triggered, we all see things that we think are inherently wrong and problematic, but there's just too much anger over things that are different. There's too much intolerance over opinions and beliefs and practices that are different from yours. And I had to learn this too, because when I first got into paleo, when I first got into health and fitness and CrossFit, and I wanted everyone to do it, and I, you know, my friends or family who were complaining about being unhealthy or sick or fat or miserable or whatever, and I'd be like, do this. And they'd be like, no, and I'd get angry. And I had to get over that myself and be like, here's what you're going to do. You're going to do what you think is right. You're going to lead by example and live your life. And when people are ready and interested to learn from you and they come to you and ask questions, you're there to answer them. But your job is not to convince everyone that you're right and they're wrong. No one learns that way. No one appreciates being talked to that way. So that's not what my life is about. And when I realized that, I felt so much less stress and I felt so much happier about everything that I was doing with myself. And so with the book, it, there's two things that I want to, uh, that I want to communicate with the book. I want to communicate that for those of us who are eating meat, most of us are eating meat. Vegans have great marketing people, but most of us are still eating mm -hmm. meat on some level or another. Those of us who have accepted that eating meat is the, correct as part of a human diet, that we are part of the um, natural food cycle, not above it or separate from it somehow. For those of us who accept and tolerate that we have to eat meat, we do eat meat for optimal health, eating nose to tail and eating organ meats is the sustainable, ethical, healthy way to do that. That's one thing I want people to know. The other thing I want to communicate with this book is the concept of being open-minded and willing to try new things, even if they're unfamiliar and they're different. Because I believe that having exposure and access to new ideas, new concepts, new experiences make us better. Even if we don't adopt them, even if we don't agree with them, because it shows us that we can still learn, even when we're not children anymore, we can still uh, alter our course, we can change our minds and that's okay. We can learn new things, we can have good experiences. And if you're willing to take risks or try new things in an area that is as simple and easy as eating, that can steamroll into other areas. Like if you're willing to try something new on your plate, maybe you'll be willing to try something new at the gym or with work or where you travel or the kinds of people you meet or the kinds of things that you do with your life. And I just think that there's like really no downside to that. Um, you know, I've told people with organ meats too, like you don't have to love every organ meat. You don't have to love every food. Um, but if you try something and you don't like it, you've learned something mm -hmm. and you can, you're right back where you started. You're like, all right, liver's not for me. Cool. Have I lost anything? No, I've learned something. But if you try something new and you love it, you may have opened up your life to better health and new experiences and new cuisines and new cultures. And it just goes from there. So yeah. um, that's the spirit that I did it with was I'm going to learn about this. I know that it's improved my life. I've known, I know that it's made me healthier and happier. I feel really passionately about it. So that's how I'm going to communicate it in this sort of like adventurous open way rather mm -hmm. than everybody's got to eat or meats. If you don't, you're an idiot, you know, like that's, mm -hmm. that's not the message. So, um, and it's been really fun. It's been, it's been challenging for me. It's been eye opening for me and it's been a blast. It's been so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that 
vision and that mindset, that philosophy. That's how I feel about a lot of things where kind of like we talked about learning about the brain, the more you learn about the brain and the way that people think and communicate, I think the easier it is to be tolerant and understand. Like for me personally, I can understand things like why someone would be a vegan or carnivore because they hear these different things. They think these different things. And in the same breath, I can understand why someone would be like a Christian or an atheist because of the way they grew up and the experiences that they've had. I think that there's so much value in being open-minded and being not necessarily moderate. Like you can still have opinions, but that doesn't mean that someone else's opinions because they've lived a different experience in life are less valid than yours. And I feel like the way you talk about the cooking of organ meats, it, it reminds me a lot of how I try to think about like why I am so passionate about bodybuilding and about the gym, because it seems like so many of the lessons can extend into life where you just work on these little changes over time and you hack away and eventually you're going to have a better outcome. And it's just about that consistency. And I love that you, it's not just about the X and Y's of cooking organ meats, but it's about just an outlook on life in general. I think that's really cool. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And that's, you know, I hope with the book that people read it from start to finish, because it's not just a cookbook. There's a, a huge kind of educational component at the beginning that goes through sort of like the history and the culture of these different types of foods. It goes through the just sort of strict ABC health benefits of it. And then I'm telling stories with all these recipes. Like I'm talking about my experience learning about them. The first time I bought and cooked a brain, the first time I went to a butcher shop and asked them for blood, like, what mm -hmm. are you going to do with that? You weirdo. Like I, I, there's all kinds of fun, fun stories and like experiences that I can share that, you know, cause the, the only, like the only thing better than making a delicious meal and like sharing it with people is having like a good story that goes with yeah. it too. So there's tons of good stories that go with it too. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. It's just like, when you stop learning, when you, when you close yourself off to any other potential idea other than the ones you already have, I mean, that's, that's a type of death. It really mm -hmm. is like, where else do you go from there? If you think that you know everything, that you're right about everything and there's nothing else to learn, what's the point, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's, that's just the attitude I always have is just, there's always more to learn and experience and do. Yeah. And I think that the approach you have of like, this is the way to live, not eating organ meats is not the way to live. It's kind of like how, when you talk about when a family or family member or friend who's not big into fitness, but would like to be in better shape. The thing that I found is the best to get them to make sustainable changes is not like you said, follow this plan, do this. This is what I do. Why can't you do this? That's never going to work. But if you're you're just living your happiest and healthiest life and being around them and maybe talking about it when it's appropriate, but mainly just showing how it makes you a better person, then they're going to be interested. Like, well, Hey, like I've, it's been crazy over the past like couple of years as I've posted on my podcast and on my Instagram and stuff. Like I'll have friends that we, we will talk about things like, Hey, what do you think about this diet? What do you think about what would you do if you wanted to build muscle? And just like people that are not into it, like I am at all, but they can see that it improves my life so much that it, it touches me to hear them ask me questions like that. Cause I know that it shows that they care. And like, even more so with guys, it's kind of an area of vulnerability where like guys love to feel like we know it all. And so I know it, it took some bravery from them to be like, Hey, like, what do you think about this? You know, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I love that. That's awesome. That's like the best situation to be in. Like I said, let, wait for them to come to you because mm -hmm. yelling information at people rarely works. <laughs> All right. So last thing here, I'm just curious. I think that I heard you say 
on a podcast, maybe it was Barbell Shrug, that like one of the easiest things to start out with is just cooking some chicken heart. So I was thinking, if I, I, got, I have you on the podcast talking about the book. I'm going to try something. So if I'm going to try something, I'm not a huge cook, but I'm not, but I, I, I kind of know my way around the kitchen. What's a good way to, to get into trying some organ meat? Yeah. So great question. Um, and also offline, I can send you, you know, the book, I don't know when this podcast is coming out. The book's going to be available on October 20th. You can pre-order it now. But another thing that I have that I created for folks who are maybe still like on the fence, they're like, okay, I keep hearing you talk about this. I'm a little freaked out. I don't know if I want to mm-hmm. buy the book yet, but I'm kind of interested. I created a little ebook, just a PDF that I can send you that has a little bit more information about organ meats and maybe debunking some myths and some misconceptions. And then I've got some recipes there too. So it's sort of like a little teaser if you're like, I want to dip my toe in, but I'm just not sure yet. So I can send mm-hmm. that to you too. But anyone okay, who's cool. listening, if they want to reach out to me, you can send me a DM on Instagram or whatever. I'll send you the ebook. Um, but I would recommend, I, I generally recommend a couple quick ways you can go about this if you're interested, but you're still a little nervous. There's a couple things you can do. If you're in a place where you can still go to restaurants, have a professional make some stuff Mm. for you. Like you can Mm -hmm. go anywhere and you can get, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, you can get a tongue taco. You can get like pho, which is um, soup that has um, tendons in it and beef heart and things like that. You can go to a French restaurant and get foie gras or sweetbreads or whatever. Have a professional make it for you. Just be willing to try something you wouldn't have tried otherwise, some pate or whatever, because that's the easiest barrier to entry. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to prep it. You don't have to like worry about how to cook it. You just go eat it and try it, right? So right, and it's their fun. job to make it good, so. There you go. If someone's going to do it, they're going to do it. And I will also say, too, that with the book, there's also a handful of recipes contributed by chefs and recipe developer friends mm, of mine. Mm-hmm. So it's not, if, you're, if, you, if you aren't totally convinced on my ability to make delicious food, there's recipes in there by, like, real chefs, too. Like yeah, I saw you mentioned Ben Greenfield. Ben Greenfield and his family made some tongue tacos for me, and I've got, like, a couple mm-hmm. other chefs who, who made some really awesome recipes. Um, But anyway, so that would be the first one. And then I would say, um, don't be afraid to hide it in other foods. Like, you know, like parents have been doing with their kids forever. You hide their broccoli under some cheese or whatever, like Mm -hmm. whatever you got to do to get some nutrition in. A lot of recipes that I have, and I totally think that this is fine, is to mix things like ground liver or ground heart into your ground beef when you're making Mm. meatballs or burgers or sausages or whatever. And there's a ratio you can do that where you're barely tasting anything different. If you fed it to your friend, they wouldn't know the difference, but it's going to be way more healthy and maybe cheaper too. And there are butchers who can do that for you. If you say, I want this four to one ratio, ground beef, ground heart and liver, plenty Mm -hmm. of butchers will do that for you. So that's another option. Um, And then the other one, going back to what you said, is I always recommend starting small. And when I say that, I mean, start with small animals. Um, So chicken usually is a great Mm -hmm. way to start chicken liver and heart before you like graduate right up to like beef or buffalo because the bigger the animal the stronger tasting the meat Mm. so if you are concerned about flavors that you're not familiar with or that might be strong to you um start with smaller animals because they'll be milder and even if you don't like fowl like if you don't like uh chicken things like um lamb are going to taste easier they're going to be easier to get your head around than like larger animals like beef and again like buffalo or bison or whatever um, so chicken heart 
is probably the easiest, I would say. You can get them anywhere. They're super cheap. Probably if you go to your regular grocery store and you go mm -hmm. into the chicken section, you'll find chicken hearts and it'll probably cost you three or four bucks for like a pound of them. And they, heart is, a, is an organ, but it's also a muscle meat. So um, that's what we're used to eating. We're used to eating breasts and thighs and loins and shanks and all of these things. That's muscle meat. And that's what a heart is as well. It's a muscle. So the texture is not going to be as unique or different for you to kind of get your head around. Um, and chicken hearts are just so simple. They basically taste sort of like little dark meat chicken nuggets, right? You don't have to do much to them. Like I literally, I have a hard time, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a hard time creating recipes for chicken hearts because I'm literally like, just put them in a pan and yeah. cook them. And then they're, they're just cooked, accessible as is. It's just what it is. So like literally I do have a couple recipes that are like barbecued with some vegetables or you can, you know, kind of chop them up and put them in a stir fry or whatever. But like, really, you just take them home, you rinse them, you put them in a cast iron skillet with some ghee or some butter and you put some salt and pepper on that thing, maybe some barbecue sauce if you like it. You'll know when they're cooked. It takes five minutes and you can, it's cooked the way any meat is cooked. You'll know when mm -hmm. it's raw, you know when it's cooked and you eat it. It's just, it's that easy. It's delicious. And they're so simple, great protein, tons of antioxidants and vitamins and minerals, um, iron, uh, CoQ10, all kinds of great stuff in there. And they're just cheap and simple and really taste pretty good. Okay. Well, I'm sold. I'll, I'll give it a try and I'll let you know how it goes. And yeah, so uh, it, as we wrap up here, as we're at our hour, let us know if there's anywhere that people can find you. You mentioned reaching out to you on Instagram. Your book you said is coming out on October 20th. I know that Amazon will be a big one and pretty much anywhere else you can find uh, books normally as, as, as I understand it. Yeah, yeah. So definitely um, you can go to my website, which is just my name, ashleyvanhouten.com. Um, we can maybe write that down somewhere because my name is mm -hmm. spelled weird. Um, so you can go there. You can check out my podcast. It's called Muscle Maven Radio, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And I'm most uh, visible really on Instagram. And my handle there is the Muscle Maven. Um, and you can just add any questions you have. If you want to ask more questions about the book, if you have any kind of organ meat, questions i'm happy to answer them um and then yeah the book it takes guts you can get it from my website but you can also get it on amazon barnes and noble wherever you buy books all right awesome well that was a lot of fun ashley thank you so much for coming on i appreciate it and we'll have to do it again sometime yeah thanks for your time it was fun hey guys it's jake again I'd like to ask you if you enjoy the podcast to take a quick second and subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps me out. And in addition, it'd be great if you would screenshot and share to your story. I'd love to reshare and have a conversation about what you thought about the podcast.